0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Nautist Nostalgia podcast. It is Wednesday. The bairn has gone to nursery. The pot of Yorkshire is on the go. And of course, we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we haphazardly call the Noughties, the 2000s, and to the football of its time. This is the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast, episode 50, Hawaii 5 and we have got today for you your suggestions on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at whatif underscore YouTube, your suggestions for the most overrated Premier League footballer of all time, and there's some hugely controversial suggestions in there. We're also going to take a look at Svengar and Eriksson era England, which was depressing to say the least. If you are enjoying these types of podcasts and love what we're doing here on What If Football, please seek out our Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash what football for bonus podcasts and other bonus content for the price of a small pint here in Yorkshire, £3 a month. Let's get stuck into today's show. So to define the most overrated Premier League footballer of all time I think we do have to tread the fine line between what is a transfer flop and who is overrated. Maybe they are one of the same thing really but a lot of players are just a transfer flop. Andrei Shevchenko for example at Chelsea in 2006. Could we say really with confidence that he's overrated? Probably not but he was a flop. For me the definition of overrated is someone who isn't as good as what a consensus of people will have you believe. So without con- without uh, any of that, we'll go to Anthony Marcy Al, suggested by Anglo-Italian podcast James FF and Jake Collinson. And to be fair, he is the only player on my list to be suggested by multiple people. Maybe that was the first wave um, of people who uh, piggybacked on others, but... Um, To be fair, I'm in total agreement, even as a Manchester United fan myself, he is slightly overrated by some section of Man United followers, of course, Marcy Alifce on social media. Um, is a group of people who um, will have you think that he does nothing wrong. Of course, he burst onto the scene, that goal against Liverpool, soundtracked by Martin Tyler, of course. He does show flashes of something occasionally, but that is just it, occasionally. Um, he has looked a lot happier under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with Manchester United, admittedly, finally scored 20-plus goals a season um, in the 2019-20 season. But for someone who was earmarked to do that every single season, it is very disappointing from a Man United point of view. And I think it is the old dilemma of a player wanting to play through the middle, but he is better served out wide. And in modern football, we'll see more and more goals distributed out onto the wings. Liverpool perfect example. Roberto Firmino rarely scores 20 goals a season. I don't know if he has done for Liverpool. He probably hovers around the 15 to 20 mark, doesn't he? But the likes of Mane and Salah are the, goal, are the team's primary goal scorers and he should be nowhere near the nine position for Man United. He should be out on the flank. He should be a squad player out on the wings with the likes of Greenwood, Rashford and now obviously Sancho. I um, think what United are building surely that should be enough for Martial, but uh, obviously he is the number nine. Uh, he obviously missed quite a lot of the season last season through injury and and not being good enough as well. san Cavani obviously took his spot, uh, well deserved as well. And I'm going to mark him as an overrated because, as a follower said, uh, some class of Man United fans are militant over him and uh, quite protective. I'm not one of them really. I don't think he's as good as, say, the other three that I just mentioned there, Greenwood, Rashford and Sancho. And to another winger, because Anthony Martiali is a winger, uh, HH suggests Adama Triore. and I completely get where people are coming from uh, with this one. Adama Triori is simply rated because he's different, He's got he's one of the quickest players in the league, obviously, uh, not alone in that really, because I think there's probably players quicker than him, but he is one of the quickest. And his physique, that's just unique in the Premier League, really. He is a good player, I'll definitely agree uh, with that one, of course. He's no denying that. His end product, I felt, was getting somewhere. He was maligned for his end product early on in his Wolves days, his Middlesbrough days, etc. Um, but I think he was getting somewhere. Uh, but then Raul Jimenez got injured, Wolves production line dried up kind of towards the end of the last season. He did get a sp- uh, spot on the Spain plane at the Euros, but didn't feature too strongly in the what was 24-man squad in the end it all depends on how his new manager at Wolves, Bruno Lager, plays him. He's versatile enough to play wing-back, play winger, can play as part of a front two. I'm going to leave it as inconclusive so far. I don't think he's gone too far over the top uh, to be overrated. I think he's probably erring towards being overrated, but uh, we'll see next season. I think this season is a definite turning point for the uh, Spaniard. And James comes in with Ruben Diaz. Um, I don't know about this one, James. (laughs) He's a big Liverpool fan. Um, I think social media may play a little bit of a part in this. Everyone's got to have an enemy, haven't they? Virgil van Dijk versus Ruben Diaz, etc. Had Diaz had the season that that he had just gone and he was a bit older, he might have been stricken off by a couple more as a great season, but perhaps a fluke, perhaps over... Over performance, but because he's younger and he's got a lot more time to grow into this place that he is in at Man City now I think it makes the season that much more impressive and the point with James's suggestion he's got two here two more um I think is to use Virgil van Dijk as a comparison as a centerpiece um he's not as good as Virgil van Dijk that doesn't mean he's not good That's not to say that he's overrated he's very good and I think he's matched by his clamor really and I'm going to rule that he isn't overrated and of course James's second pick, Nemanja Vidic and of course we can apply the same here and James's viewpoint here as a Liverpool fan I think might be slanted by his Vidic's below par showings against Liverpool, he's sent off quite a few times Fernando Torres had the number on him often inferior against the Spaniard and when you're fighting a losing battle like that yeah he'll come across as a bad player but everyone's got their kryptonite I think Schmeichel got done by Robbie Fowler quite often Not to say that uh, Fowler's a better striker than Schmeichel is a goalkeeper, obviously, but uh, everyone's got the player that they don't play well against, Jamie Carragher's with Thierry Henry. But of course, that's a whole different uh, story there. I think Nemanja Vidic, not coming from a Man United standpoint, really, I think he should be in contention for at least in the top 10 Premier League centre-backs of all time. I don't even think that's overrated him either. He might not be the absolute best as a player, but he struck up, for me, the ...correct partnership with Rio Ferdinand... ...they complemented each other... ...superbly and that is the key... ...in football you don't have to be the best... ...but if you're fighting the right puzzle... ...the right... ...the right combinations... ...and together as an eleven, ...that's the whole basis of football... ...you can be the best really... ...and um, Manchester United... ...will be hoping to replicate that this season... ...of course with uh, Rafael Varane... ...coming in uh, to partner Harry Maguire... ...and I'm going to rule that Nemanja Vidic... ...is not overrated... ...one of the best in the league of all time... ...yes... Uh, not overrated. One of the best centre-backs Man United have ever had. George Spencer, shout out to George, he uh, he donates monthly to our Patreon account, that's patreon.com forward slash watch football, thank you George. He suggests Filipe Coutinho and I think this suggestion is slightly skewed by his spell at Barcelona. On his day, he was fantastic, he was almost untouchable. Um, I think if anything, he may have gone the other way, un- underrated. Um, he could do it all, scored plenty, created plenty. I think he obviously took a turn when Klopp decided to dispose of him, for a hefty sum, let's not beat around the bush, £143 million. I felt he might have been given a better chance by Klopp, but again, as we saw with Rio Ferdinand and Vidic, if he doesn't fit into the system, pointless keeping players, luxury players, as though he was really, because he, he was never quite a winger, he was never quite a part of a midfield three, he 10 really, and around this time Klopp was playing 4-3-3, so he didn't, he didn't really fit into the system and the balance, it wasn't there. So Klopp was ultimately right. Uh, For Coutinho, it's been a downward slope ever since. His bloated price to Barcelona hasn't helped. It's helped Liverpool, if anything, sign Virgil van Dijk and Allison and ascend to something better. But on his day, Coutinho, I think for me, um, when he's he's got everything moving in the right direction, that goal against, uh, was it Switzerland in the World Cup a couple of years ago? Fantastic. Obviously, it's fallen off a cliff in his club form since. But... Once upon a time, he was very good and could be counted as one of the better playmakers in the Premier League. And I don't think that he's overrating him really alongside the likes of Aiden Hazard for me. Slightly, maybe a run below Aiden Hazard, which I'm sure will will not make George Spencer, a Chelsea fan, very happy. Uh, Chris Kelly's gone for Andre Gomez. And I think this lands, as I said earlier, this lands more into the flop zone than the overrated zone, perhaps. Um, I thought he was a good player when I first saw him Obviously, so the ankle injury um haven't hasn't really done him any favors he's', he's about rated I think as what people say is everton fans I see on social media don't tend to blow smoke up his ass he's I think they're very realistic about him really. I don't think he's overrated, but he might be a flop for me um one of the more controversial suggestions here from f c law podcast Gareth bale very controversial <laughs> on his day absolutely untouchable of his on the best. Um, one of the best wingers the Premier League's seen. Um, obviously won the PFA Player of the Year quite a bit. Uh, world's most expensive player for a time. Um, his 2012-13 season for me goes up, stands up against really anybody's one Premier League season. It's absolutely majestic and dragged Spurs to fifth place. Admittedly not the Premier League title, admittedly not Champions League, but without Bale they would have finished mid-table easily. Deserved Player of the Year you might you might question, Robin van Persie might have got it. did win the Premier League, did score a hat full of goals for United, but Bale was, it was sort of a two horse race really wasn't it um, he's had hand in uh, some Champions League final goals 2014 in his first season at Real Madrid of course um, perhaps the best of all time in 2018, um, he's on the back, that, he's going down the, uh, the back nine of his career to use a uh, golfing analogy, um, but um, perhaps this is where this point of view uh, comes from here, but in his peak I think he's a Great play, one of the best of his time and deserves that place really as the best of his time. And for me, he's just about rated. And like Coutinho, don't take into account the bad couple of seasons that he's having towards the end of his career. Although is not really at the end of his career. Um, and for me, Gareth Bale is not overrated. Podfather Mags suggests Navigator and... Mags himself here on the tweet notes, Cater's injury problems. I don't think we we definitely haven't seen the best of him in the Premier League. Um, Signed for a fair amount of money, 54 million, I think, in the end from Leipzig. Um, Like Gomez, I think this ventures more into a flop um, signing than overrated. I like to think that even as a Man United fan and someone who kind of admired Katerat in Germany, um, that he'll come good and be given more chances now, obviously, with the... The release of Wijnaldum uh, didn't obviously cover himself in glory last season, especially against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Maybe he's slightly beneath that level, but for me, he's not overrated. He's probably venturing more into a flop unless he can turn it around this season. He's still quite young, of course. Mags also suggests Andy Carroll, and now this is one I can definitely get behind. £35 million from Newcastle to Liverpool, which is just a disgrace, really. Um, he might just be a flop, but wherever he's gone, there's definitely been a, def- a definite... Lump it to the big man vibe around him. Old school English football. Also, he's English. So that's almost by definition he's overrated. He's definitely a flop. And I do think he's overrated as well. Outside a couple of goals for West Ham. You know, the overhead kick. He started off well for Newcastle. Second stint not really kicked into gear. Liverpool, he's got a couple of goals against Man City in a game once. Uh, he's always threatened to be good. He's always been on the precipice of being good. He's had, probably had about two or three good seasons. Um... Rather than just being consistent, he's still included by a lot of people and media as part of a team's chances on occasions like when he was returned to Newcastle. There was a chance that Newcastle could get going when he comes off the bench. Scores a header! Wow, um, he definitely overrated for me. <laughs> Sorry, Andy Carroll. <laughs> and chat, grapple, and cheap pops podcast suggests Deli Alley. Um, I think Deli Alley might be a victim like Coutinho, like Bale here, of slightly tailing off of his form in the past few years and let's not forget he's still around this time around his age he should be about to enter his peak so it's not over yet for him threatened to come good again under Jose Mourinho at the start had a terrific performance at West Ham I seem to remember didn't really click into gear for him he obviously frozen out um, as Mourinho likes to do with some players now a new manager new chances to turn this around he's been getting into the team a lot more under Ryan Mason the back end of last season and um those seasons where Tottenham were pushing for the Premier League, alley and in behind Harry Kane in the number 10 position, he was almost unplayable. Just about not overrated yet, but questions obviously will be asked if he continues in this form. Um, obviously, might need to get a move, do what Jesse Lingard did, uh, get a move away, maybe for half a season, then come back to it. Maybe. But not overrated for me. Dario Riffio suggests David Beckham, and I knew this one would come up, and I couldn't disagree more. I think obviously his personality and his status comes into that and does overwritten because as a footballer, is probably before the times of Ronaldo Messi, the most famous footballer around. And the fact that we he's more probably known for his activities outside of football, sponsorships, when sponsorships weren't necessarily a big deal, obviously owning a franchise in the MLS, going to the MLS in the first place, starting that, kick-starting that all over. And... Um, but in terms of the likes of Sinisa Mihailovic, Juninho is one of the best free-kick takers ever. Best crosser and passer of the ball we have ever likely to see in the Premier League. And to me, if this was the most underrated Premier League players of all time, David Beckham's in there. Number one. Obviously, I'm a slightly biased Man United fan also. David Beckham was the reason why I supported Man United in the first place in 1998, even after the World Cup but I don't understand it it being him being overrated he in part of the class of 92 yeah obviously may not be the best player in that team the player who got all the goals but he created a lot of the assists got the most assists in the treble winning season His understanding with the likes of Solskjaer, York Rude van Nistelrooy second to none and that's the reason why Manchester United was so dominant towards the late 90s, early 2000s definitely not overrated for me (laughs) <laughs> Dean Pope suggests Hatton Ben Arthur and I've got no doubt about his talent he's definitely talented I don't even know if that's up for debate but it's more of his a- application it's more of his, more of his temperament and of course that that itself l- lends itself to being him being overrated I think if anything Ben Arthur's just not asked either way that's probably the best way I can describe it um, perhaps he's overrated I, I simply can't decide on, on Ben Arthur really he... Has the abilities to be very good, but he just doesn't put them to good. You see uh Ravel Morrison, Adnan Yanazai, maybe, um, although he's probably leveled out a bit. Uh, but yeah, he's in that category. I don't think he's overrated. Mike Hartley comes in with <laughs> an absolutely, oh, I was going to say ridiculous to say, yeah, it is. Dennis Burkamp. I can't abide this. And the next selection we've got uh, from a different listener as well. Um, When I think through nostalgic eyes, not even supporting Arsenal and Chelsea as a mere neutral, the likes of Bergkamp and the next selection, Gianfranco Zola as a young one, I absolutely loved watching them play, even if it was Arsenal and Chelsea and if they were playing against a random team that wouldn't affect my team in the end. Bergkamp and Zola were just a joy to watch. Bergkamp himself was unplayable. The game against Leicester when he scored the hat trick, pa- capped off with that fantastic goal. The goal against Newcastle, obviously outside the Premier League, we've got the goal against Argentina in the World Cup. Absolute phenomenal football. There may have been an element of luck about the Newcastle one, which is a little pirouette touch around the uh, defender. I think it was ass, for Newcastle. They may they may be like an overinflation by some as time goes on, which you know happens. And that's normal, but I don't think that translates onto Bergkamp really. He is as good as what people say now. He's rightly amongst the best Premier League attackers of his time, maybe of all time. For me, no, not overrated at all. And Paul Nelson chimes in with Gianfranco Zola. Zola was absolutely magical. <laughs> the flick against Norwich at the FA Cup, yeah, maybe, but. He was just an absolute genius um, in what was a dark spell for Chelsea at the turn of the century, really, financially, at least. Him and Jimmy Floyd made Chelsea primarily the two that made Chelsea watchable. Uh, Frank Lampard would come in, of course, a couple of years down the line. Uh, Zola had a lot of heart. He was dogged. He had that special ability to absolutely change a game on his own. And before Roman Abramovich came and took over Chelsea and obviously the ascent to the success that he'd do, um, Gianfranco Zola was voted Chelsea's best ever player. And now this was Chelsea who had one league title in their history, a couple of flurries of cup wins. So you see in the late 60s, early 70s, they had a flurry of cup wins there. In the 90s, they did as well. And Zola was really the catalyst for that. They won a couple of uh, FA Cups, League Cup, uh, they won the Cup Winners' Cup as well in quick succession over the course of two years, really. And Zola was right at the heart of that. And without him, I don't think Chelsea do that. And He might not be their best ever player now, admittedly, he's probably still in the top 10, which says a lot about him, considering the amount of players that have come through Chelsea, the amount of stuff that they've won 2 Champions League, innumerable FA Cups, Premier Leagues, etc. Zola was one hell of a player, one of the all-time greats in the Premier League, not overrated at all. But the next one gave me a lot of thought, Matty Mack, thank you for suggesting, Nicholas Anelka. Matt even says in his reply, 123 times Premier League goal scorer, which kind of infers he isn't overrated part of the Premier League 100 club. But these niggling spells in the back of my mind where he definitely wasn't at his best and was definitely just almost playing for the pitch. Like he obviously wouldn't be doing that. Um, I think he's, as the Netflix documentary states, misunderstood. Um, but... When you get to teams like Chelsea in 2009-10, the double winners, he was underrated, if anything. He's fantastic at Arsenal, even at a young age. Obviously went through a bit of turmoil at Real Madrid, came back to the Premier League to Liverpool, hit and miss, really, and at Bolling, I think it was fantastic. He always had that um, controversy controversy around him, that tumultuous spell in him. Um, Obviously, as we know, an explosive character, the 2010 World Cup can attest to that one. Um, but I'm going to err on the side of optimism and say not overrated, just, um, but he could have been a lot better, <laughs> that's all I'll say. Uh, the next suggestion is a lot easier to come to a conclusion, Alex Rhodes suggests Stephen Gerrard, and even as a Man United fan, I can't say yes to this, uh, Gerrard should have won far, far more in his career, the Premier League included, I'll stretch to that one, despite at the time chanting at Old Trafford they <laughs> the likes of Bebe won Gerrard nil, but um, Premier League, he should have won that, I can definitely attest to that. One of the best midfielders of his time dragged Liverpool to numerous honours, without him they don't win the Champions League in 2005, they don't win the FA Cup, certainly don't win the FA Cup in 2006, especially that goal in the last minute, the amount of times he dug Liverpool out of a hole, in times where they weren't the best team in England, might not have even been the best team in Europe, but still win those honours, and this, together with his inferior trophy hall compared to his compar- contemporaries, Frank Lampard, etc. Maybe even Paul Scholes. This is why I'd argue that he's underrated, if anything, as opposed to overrated. Harry Holland suggests Mietta Kesman, and I think this is a classic case of an Eredivisie forward, scoring his way to a big fee. Many have done it before. Alfonso Alves of Middlesbrough did it afterwards. I think Ruud van Nistelrooy is on the other side of this divide where it's translated well into the Premier League. Kesman definitely falls underneath this. I would like to say he's a flop. I don't think he was ever going to do it at Chelsea, really. Crespo, dropper come in, move 2 to even. He's never going to get ahead of any of those. Um, He hasn't done too much outside of that either, so as much as I do like him, and I would like to say he's a flop, he's probably just overrated, really. Uh, Some of my suggestions to wrap up this segment, we've got Falcao of Manchester United. Didn't really hit the ground, maybe just a flop. Same with Angel Di Maria. Stuart Downing, Danny Welbeck, though, definitely overrated. Uh, A lot of people still... Uh, like Danny Welbeck, and think he's almost in with a shout of the England team. May come good again with Brighton, but I think that chance has gone. Sammy Nasri, I thought he was well overrated. Um, did well at Arsenal for patches, but again, he's one of those patchy sort of players. Emmanuel Adebayor, similar. Shinji Kagawa didn't have the longevity really in the Premier League. Paulinho, likewise. Eric Lamella did have the longevity, never really got going with uh, Spurs really had a couple of uh, bright sparks the Ribona last season in the the North London derby and I think this kind of counts because he did play in the Premier League for a bit but George Weyer won the Ballon d'Or somehow scored that goal which is one of the most overrated goals of all time in uh, the mid-90s for AC Milan Um, but because he played for Chelsea he played for was he in the Premier League when he played for Man City I think he was Um, a little bit overrated yeah so after this short break, we'll go from overrated players to a perhaps the most overrated national team of all time: it's Sven-Göran Eriksson era England. Sven-Göran Eriksson's England. Well, welcome back to the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast second half. Here with a team profile since it's international break time and. It's hard to hard to remember the good old days of Sven-Garren Ericsson, the good early days, Spain, Finland, Albania, Mexico, Greece, simply swatted away at places like Stadium of Light and Pride Park as England went on a, a bit of a tour as Wembley was being torn down in the background. So England ended the 2000-2001 season, Did, having a good uh, spell in the World Cup qualifiers, obviously still reeling from the loss to Germany, which ended Kevin Keegan's spell as manager, the likes of Gavin McCann, Hugo Echiot, Michael Ball, Chris Powell, Danny Mills and Richard are all tried out, just some of the luminaries that Sven played in those early heady days. And until Sven-Goran Eriksson's England were finally defeated, Mark van Bommel goal at White Hartley in another brand new stadium to play some international football in, admittedly a friendly, but that ended his unbeaten run. And despite winning all five of his competitive World Cup qualifiers, including that night in Munich, September the first, two thousand and one, who can who can forget that? Germany won England five. and Yanka scores early on. You think it's you think it's all over, but it wasn't. Up oh, Michael Owen with a hat trick. Stephen Gerrard, Emil Heskey, the Liverpool three. Probably one of the best England games since '66 Ranks up there with the likes of the win against France at Spain 82. The 4-1 demolition of the Netherlands at Euro 96, which people often cite as well. You've also, going forward, you've got the win over Argentina at the World Cup. Admittedly a dodgy penalty, but who cares? Another another friendly win, this time over Argentina 3-2. Fantastic. Uh, One of the best friendly matches I've ever seen. Uh, You've got the qualifier for the World Cup avenging the Croatia loss from uh, two years before, the 5-1 win over Croatia, you've got the penalty shootout of Vengen at the World Cup in 2018 against Colombia, and of course, a 2-0 win over Germany at the most recent European Championships this summer, so I think it ranks above, alongside them, probably at the forefront, alongside the Germany win most recently at Wembley in the Euros, and the, the uh, Netherlands 4-1, but as memorable as the this win was and as memorable as the Greece game was for the Beckham free kick it should have been easy of course England qualifying the last minute through a Beckham free kick and miss out on a playoff only because Germany draw with Finland so let's not get it twisted England shouldn't have even qualified even with a win because Germany should have beaten Finland but there we go Uh, England are given a rotten group in the World Cup uh, Nigeria Argentina Sweden it's correctly labelled the group of death, Nigeria, were no slouchers. Plus the likes of Gary Neville and Steven Gerrard are both ruled out through injuries. There's a national clamour for David Beckham, everyone being instructed to touch the foot on a newspaper so he'll heal. Um, Yeah, strange. We all learned of the metatarsal bone that year after he broke his foot in a Champions League match against Deportivo. England perhaps should have won the opener in Japan. Saul Campbell's early header equalised by Nicholas Alexanderson and then four years of bubbling over of David Beckham, being tormented in the press, burning effigies of him, scores the winner from the spot against Argentina, four years on from being sent off against the same opposition. And then a, it was quite frankly a damp squib um, against Nigeria, meant second place and nil-nil there, meant Sweden overtook England. They only needed a point um, and that was what they got. And looking back, at, we were very naive and um, we were coasting off the back of the Argentina win we made that out to be a lot more than what it actually was. Um, and if they'd have just beaten Nigeria in what was a very hot and humid day, I seem to remember, in Japan. I wasn't there, but I was in England. <laughs> um, they struggled in the heat. Uh, but they could have made the semi-finals if they'd have just beaten Nigeria. No excuses, but they did have a little bit of a depleted team. Beckham, arguably not fully fit as well. And this route, if they'd have won the, won the group, it'd have been Senegal, then Turkey, then back to Brazil for the semi-final. And semi-final, with a bit of added pressure may have done Brazil probably not instead they got a tricky Denmark match and a damning 3-0 win in milder condition- conditions and that had us on 10 to hooks really didn't it early into school that morning for the quarterfinal the real final Brazil versus England Michael Owen scored the opener and then Beckham ducked out of a tackle that led to Rivaldo's equaliser and of course Ronaldinho fluked it, as we'll all say. Um, (laughs) Another excuse. Brazil won, rightfully won. Rightfully won the title, really, and uh, were deserving champions. Uh, Looking back, Brazil should have been firm favourites, really, but uh, nationalistic pride meant that they weren't, uh, because England had the golden generation. Um, Unfounded, obviously. Uh, Euro 2004 was a perfect blender, this, really, wasn't it? You've got Gary Neville back, you've got Steven Gerrard back, you've got John Terry in, you've got... Frank Lampard coming to the fore as well and of course how can you forget Wayne Rooney 18 years old burst onto the scene didn't he really um also, also you can add uh, Rio Ferdinand missed out through missing the the drugs test uh some nine months prior and he would have rounded off a fantastic golden generation there for that tournament at least but admittedly in Euro 2004 we didn't learn our lessons did we we were self-appointed favourites of the tournament of course, Rooney with pinned all our hopes on an 18-year-old um, who had made his debut just over a year before in a friendly, a 3-1 defeat to Australia, let's not forget. But of course, as you say, burst onto the scene. Two goals against Switzerland, one arguably wasn't his, um, and two more against Croatia. He was going for the golden boot and he was ours. We hadn't seen this since 1996, Now, and Alan Shiro was surely going to win it all, Um but the niggling feeling at least in back of my mind was the France game. Zinedine Zidane scored twice late on, that was England's biggest game, their true only real test of the tournament and they still lost. France versus England was my pre-tournament final pick as I think I've said on this show before. Um, France get done by Greece, so the draws opened up you think, or at least I think, uh, so we were playing the real final in the quarter-final again. Uh, Portugal this time, oh my clone gets the ball rolling with that lovely pirouette and flick over Ricardo. England are actually going to win it. We're going all the way. We're due to conquer the world. It's going to, definitely going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, Wayne Rooney breaks his foot. The dream is over. But I was still thinking, we're still ahead. We've still got Hargreaves to come on. We've still got Beckham, Gerard, skulls, Lampard. A fantastic midfield. We just couldn't fit the right pieces in the jigsaw. And then 83 minutes in, held the Postiga breaks. English hearts to take the game to extra time. Of course, we've got Rui Costa and Lampard trading the goals. So Campbell gets another another knockout stage goal disallowed. Um then it's penalties. We all know what happens there. Ricardo saves from Tarius Fasel. Ricardo himself scores. Right now we all know what went wrong. Paul Scores was on the left. The gifted mid, most gifted midfielder is generation on the left in a four four two. and what should we have done really? It's quite simple. Four two three one. Sacrifice a player if need be. Get Owen Hargreaves in there sacrifice a couple of names perhaps the defence and the goalkeeper were fine as they were David James is probably what, the best what we had at the time in net The uh, defence was the best we had Ashley Cole was the, one of the best left backs in the world or at least ascending to that Gary Neville was a, a great right back John Terry and Saul Campbell fantastic centre halves. obviously you might have preferred Rio Ferdinand in there but Campbell was no no bad step down there I would have put Owen Hargreaves and Stephen Gerrard in more of a double pivot, Beckham on the right, Lampard in behind Owen, and Rooney on the left in what would have been a free roll giving him a bit more licence, maybe more of a uh more of a slanted four four two on that one. But Hargreaves in there would short up a lot of the uh, a lot of the balance that England desperately needed in these tournaments that they never had because England never learned how to keep the ball in any tournament football up until probably 2021 which is an absolute indictment on the players that we had, the managers we've had that you can't keep a possession of a football and comfortably see out a game of tournament football which I don't think as an England fan they've actually ever done against a top team apart from most recently which is embarrassing. And the same can be said, of course, for the 2006 World Cup. The doomed left-sided problem had seemingly been fixed age-old, generation-old. Joe Cole, although he's more of a modern-day inside-forward, is right-footed. Whilst wingers were, of course, in vogue, so inside-forwards don't really fit this mould. Rio Ferdinand was back, of course. Uh, Paul Scholes had retired, but Lampard and Gerrard were the cogs in the midfield, the two best central midfielders in the world, and we had them. But, of course... that was the talking point the meme of 2006 could they play together that was the cliche so I'll suggest something different a 4-3-3 Wayne Rooney up top Cole left Beckham right Hargreaves slightly deeper Stephen Gerrard and Lampard Lampard is a bit more attacking he arrives late in the box Gerrard is more of a conductor even in those days Michael Owen wasn't fit he'd just come off a, a long layoff he'd ruptured his ACL in the final group match against Sweden and it was another World Cup group stage finale where another point was needed, but this time, admittedly, it was to top the group. England do so, admittedly, through a weaker group Paraguay and Trinidad and Tobago, and they absolutely laboured it. A 1 0 win over Paraguay, an early own goal in that one. 2 uh, 0 against Trinidad and Tobago, two late goals from Peter Crouch, it was potentially a foul for pulling on the defenders' dreadlocks. Stephen Gerrard from distance it was embarrassing uh and I thought that was the lowest that England could get just wait until two years later um injuries did force vent hand in the end and in the quarter final Owen Hargreaves actually started the game at defensive mid in more of a 4-1-4-1 4-1 formation Peter Crouch up front Wayne Rooney slightly in behind him and if only England could have been prepared for this and had experience in playing in this formation Hargreaves I thought in that game was absolutely phenomenal but admittedly, playing an hour with 10 men, Portugal were too strong, Rooney sent off. And of course, that mean penalties, playing for penalties and playing for penalties in the round this time wasn't good, was it? You might say the same about 2021, and how that ended, but there we are. Still heartbroken. Um, then Sven left, of course, um, succeeded for a doomed run with Steve McLaren. Why did he leave? Simply put the press. Um, entrapment, kind of, for the fake shake business. His private life was delved into... Far too regularly for my liking or anyone's liking, really. Um, he left slash jumped before he was pushed, got sacked. It depends on who you ask, really. Uh, whichever way he spun it, Sven was gone, um, announced before the World Cup in advance. And with it, the Golden Generation was dead. And especially dead after failing to qualify for the World Cup. And it would take McLaren, Capello, Hodgson, Allardyce, England DNA before they finally got Southgate some 10 years on um England would make two semi-finals Nations League World Cup and the Euro 2020 final finally showing their true potential and now push on to perhaps complete that England DNA objective of winning the 2022 World Cup but really the the spark was there for the World Cup win in 2006 or 2002 or even the Euros in 2004 but talking about overrated these boys were definitely here because as I said with the Rio and Vidic partnership earlier on in the show, if you don't, if you have the best players but not the best system, it doesn't matter and England definitely, definitely around 2004-2006 had the best players, there's no doubt about that, the system though failing and lacking which is why England lacked until 2018, until 2020 when around that time England in 2018 didn't have the best team at the tournament by far probably around 10th to 16th best team at that world cup but the system the team spirit that got them to the semi-final 2020 slightly different they had the team probably around third or fourth best team at the tournament arguably maybe even second best team depth was there and that combined with team spirit and a system leads to almost success precipice of success final first final in 55 years so that's what we can learn from england under sven and Eriksson. next week we'll be talking more international as we'll be asking you for the biggest teams to fail to qualify for a world cup ever and we'll also be asking for your best ever premier league goalkeepers if you want to contribute to the show tweet us at what if underscore youtube and again if you are enjoying these podcasts We'll be here Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday with new series, The Barclays. with ranked now on the podcast feed, and of course, every Wednesday, "Noise Nostalgia podcast, and of course, patreon.com forward slash football for bonus content for the price of a pint, one pint a month, and you get 300 plus days a year content. But until then, until next time, see you then.